Hello and welcome to 93.94, a music podcast. I'm Travis. How are you doing? Thanks for joining me. Today I have back on the show my friend Brad Carroll, also known as the Beezer, Bees, Elbizer, Bard Cardell. Why don't I have any nicknames? People just call me Travis and that's it. Anyways, the Bees is back, Brad, and he's here to talk about fucking Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan is, you know, he is a sponge. He is someone that soaks up all kinds of different influences and then reinterprets them in his way. And in so doing, he has guided the last 50, 60 years of music in some way or another, probably more than anyone else on the planet. I mean, he's up there. And I'm not saying that he alone did it. There's Quincy Jones, you know, there was Woody Guthrie, of course. There's all kinds of people that have had their impacts. I'm just saying, Bob Dylan is one of the titans of our time, whether you acknowledge it or not. And Brad very much acknowledges it. Brad is as big a fan of Bob Dylan as I think I've ever known anyone to be a fan of anything. His love for Bob Dylan is deep. So, brace yourself. Here's me and Brad talking Bob. Oh, there was a wealthy merchant in London he did dwell. He had a lovely daughter, the truth of our town. Sweethearts plenty and men of high degree. There was none but Jackie Fraser and you love and be. It's easy to get lost when you're fucking working and family and this. It's like, nope, I gotta stick with my. I need to. I need my creative output. Some stuff. I got a big batch of Elbizers that are gonna be released onto Spotify at some point in the next. Oh, good. Whenever I have time. Yeah. It's like I had I had like 50 plus songs like in like an untitled album. Mm-hmm. What I've been doing is going back through old stuff that I wrote in like 2002. And like some of the lyrics are a little pedestrian. <laughs> so changing things up, a little yeah. rearrangements, re-recording some old stuff. And then I had a bunch of just random new stuff that I, like I got like a new George Santos song. That's pretty fun, but <laughs> topical. Yeah, it's very t- I try. It's like I, I try and be top when you write political stuff, though, it doesn't stay topical very long. So. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Unless you write political songs like the guy we're about to talk about, then his stuff is a little more timeless. Well, let's do it. Let, let's get into let's get into Bob Dylan. How do you feel about talking about Bob Dylan? Do you like to talk about Bob Dylan at all? Is that a topic that interests you? Yeah, every now and again, I'll I'll try and talk about Bob Dylan. <laughs> I took a selfie at a Halloween party. I was Buzz Lightyear, and I didn't really know many people. It was like one, through one of my wife's friends, and I didn't know many people. And I just took like a selfie, and then I added like a caption. And I was like, I was like, when no one wants to talk about Bob Dylan at the Halloween party, you know, just like <laughs> me by myself on the couch, like looking sad. It was pretty funny. <laughs> it used to be worse. The OCD about him has definitely gone down, but any chance I get, 
like everyone in my cohort at Grand Valley knows I'm a big Dylan fan because I'll interject his random lyrics every now and again. Well, you know, like I'll quote him and stuff. I've known a lot of big Bob Dylan fans. I got a, a friend of mine who's in his 70s that like was at Greenwich Village back in the day and that kind of stuff and like is obsessed with folk music and Bob Dylan. I know some big Bob Dylan fans and none of them. I don't know anyone that loves anything maybe quite as much as you love Bob Dylan. Yes. I don't know that I would have even gotten to talking about this album, World Gone Wrong, if you didn't express interest because even if you're a Bob Dylan fan, he's so prolific with his music it might not be an album that you know would be on your radar i've listened to a ton of bob dylan albums but there's so many i've never listened to and i've never listened to this one but i'm sure you've been listening to it since probably 93 or so <laughs> he has so much material he has so much studio material let alone the thousands of live show i mean mm -hmm. with dylan it's like i feel like um you don't meet that many like casual dylan fans usually mm -hmm. they're out there maybe you would consider yourself a step above casual, maybe. Well, if you are OCD level obsession with Bob Dylan, you know, I respected Bob Dylan for a long time. I never started listening to him until I met you. And within like, I don't know, a month of us meeting, I was giving, you know, we, we did like a classic what you would do at that age in the early 2000s where, you know, you hadn't listened to Tom Waits. So I like made a CD or two, like a mix of songs for you. And you made a mix of different Bob Dylan songs for me. So you got into Tom Waits and I got into Bob Dylan. I think we talked about this briefly when um, you were on the show last time. And so I started listening to him then, but still it was like a very gradual appreciation. It really wasn't until I started getting trained as a historian that I really came to really get into him because that's when I started to like see him as this major historical figure, yes. you know, this link between the old world and the new and like the way that he interacted with so many different events and people from that time period. And he's just like this fucking Forrest Gump type uh, musician version right. of him kind of character that was like in all these different things. So I taught this pop culture class at Temple University one semester and doing the research for that, I realized like, oh shit, I gotta talk about Bob Dylan like a lot. And yeah. uh, and I was able to use him to talk about Emmett Till and like the John Birch Society and all this other stuff. And so, uh, you know, and, and the fucking hurricane and all this stuff like that. So it's just, as I kind of got more understanding of who he actually is, that my appreciation for him, his musicianship really grew. And so now I feel like if you are one of those people that don't like Bob Dylan, I can understand not liking the music, not liking his voice. I can understand that, but like, you got to respect him. And if you don't respect him, then you're probably just frankly ignorant to his historical importance. Yeah. Well, I remember you reaching out to me about, you know, I got a whole week. I'm going to talk about Dylan and we're getting into the like, civil rights. So I remember say, Hey, check out, Emmett Till and Medgar Evers, he wrote songs about those guys. He basically opened up for MLK when he did his I Have a mm -hmm. Dream speech, you know, and played only a pawn in their game. I mean, like his impact just on pop culture and like music, especially lyric writing, but then just in society in general, I think is just, it's really hard to find someone with more impact in those categories over the last 60 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? There might be some great directors or artists out there that have really done some, but all those guys would put Dylan above them. You know, you could talk to Scorsese right. and he'd be like, I'm pretty good, but Dylan's probably more important than me, you know, or something <laughs> like that. I mean, yeah. And, you know, when you look at any great musician or, or artist, Martin Scorsese will admit 
freely that he regularly lifts and borrows from other filmmakers. That's partly what crafting art is, is compiling your influences together and putting them through the filter that is yourself. And Bob Dylan was always so good at that. I mean, in a lot of ways, he, that's how he was able to reinvent himself so many times and put out so much music and stay relevant for so many years. Now, this is your second time on the show. Usually I ask people how we met one another, but you and I have already covered that. So I'm going to ask you briefly, if you're able, we're here to talk about the 1993 album, World Gone Wrong, but what's your favorite Bob Dylan album? Oh, God. That's, you know, Travis, what's your what's your yeah. favorite comedy? You know, I could probably pin it down to a top five albums. Okay. I think that Highway 61 Revisited. Mm-hmm. And Blonde on Blonde, those are 65 and 66. Love and Theft came out in 2001. And I think that was 21 when that came out. And that just, I really connected with that album. And I just, if I had it on record, it would have worn through. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was in my car for like two years, just mm-hmm. out of the CD and my thing. Um, and I saw a bunch of shows on that tour and got a bunch of the live recordings, like good soundboard recordings. And I would put that up there. That was the year I met you, right? Or the year after I met you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. Right around then. That album actually came out on 9-11 in 2001. And I was at the store buying it. I'm like, why isn't anyone at the store? It's like, oh, they're all at home watching the news, you know? (laughs) And I didn't realize what happened until I got home. And I'm like, oh. That's what you were doing on 9-11 was buying a Bob Dylan album. That's when it came out. And I didn't know about, you know, but then it's like, then I always joke like, oh, you know, you can always, you can connect Dylan to anything. You know, it's like, well, he released an album on that day, you know, of course. God. You know, Blood on the Tracks is another one of the best, like, breakup, sad, awesome love albums ever recorded. And uh, I really like Infidels from 83. Okay. You know, and then John O.C. Hardy, Nationals, they can all come in and go. But those five, I would say. Highway 61 and Free Will. And it's hard to disregard Free Will. And that's, that was his second album. His first album where yeah. it was all songs he wrote with Hard Rain and Blowing in the Wind and right. Don't Think Twice It's All Right. You know, a lot of songs that he, you know, played for the next 60 years yeah. at almost every show. So now I've not listened to every Bob Dylan album, but I do think my favorite is Time Out of Mind. That was the first one I really got into like, kind of on my own. When we first moved to Florida, because that was 97. Mm-hmm. I listened to that and that one, I was like, dude, these lyrics are so good. And then Love and Theft followed that. And it was the same thing, same kind of song structure. You know, it didn't have the Daniel Lanyos uh, production because Dylan produced Love and Theft on his own. Because Lanyos produced Time Out of Mind and Oh Mercy from 89. had that kind of New Orleans, Indiana, Bayou kind of sound to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. If you listen to those two albums, you can tell it's it's the same producer. That kind of echoey, just like eerie, you know, his voice is a little bit, you know, they're messing with his voice, like in the, whatever they're doing in, in the studio, but. Post-production? Yeah. Come on, Full Sailor. So, I don't know if it was, <laughs> or they just had like a weird effect on it. You can hear it in Time Out of Mind, but. Yeah. Yeah, and then he just released his bootleg series for Time Out of Mind with all the outtakes and all, all the alternative takes. Right. Unbelievable. So good. And of course, very long, because that's kind of what he does. Is yeah. Release a lot of material. Yes. So did you get into World Gone Wrong when it came out in 93, like I assume, or did it take a while to like retroactively get into that? My addiction to Dylan didn't start till freshman year of college in 98. Okay. In 93, that's when I was listening to... That was Nirvana and Pearl Jam and yeah. Cypress Hill, mm-hmm. stuff like that in 93, right? I think it just, it got to a point where 
the way my OCD works. I really like someone. I'm going to eventually buy all their albums. Mm-hmm. Every couple of weeks, I'll go to the store. Oh, I don't have this one yet. Let me get that one. Oh, what's this world gone wrong? I'm going to get it. Yeah. But uh, I've been listening to it for over 20 years, mm-hmm. you know. But like I said, it has so much stuff. It's not like every, oh, I've been a week since World's Gone Wrong. I mean, but I've listened to the album 50 times. Yeah. And, you know, in retrospect, when you're looking back on that, I think any big Dylan fan would tell you that I love his religious material from the late 70s, early 80s. Then he had a little pocket from about 85 to maybe even 84 to like 88, where it's like some of those albums are are rough. Mm-hmm. You know, even the biggest Bob Dylan fans can admit that those are probably some of his weakest albums, even though they do have some gems on there. Sure. Then Oh Mercy came and that was really good. And he actually wrote in his book, Chronicles, wrote a huge chapter on the time he spent in uh, New Orleans recording that album, which is pretty interesting. Well, do you know how he came to decide to record this album because this album to me feels like rick rubin and johnny cash heard it and went oh yeah let's do this yeah let's take a collection of older folk songs and just put you in a guitar because that's all it is it's just him and folk songs that he's reworked his own way his own spin yeah he produced it recorded what in his garage or something like in his own studio at home like his home studio in 1990, he did an album called Under the Red Sky. And when you really look into that album, he had just had another child with one of his backup singers that was kept a secret, Desiree, something or another was her name. I think that might be his daughter's name. So a lot of those songs are like silly songs that are, I think he just wrote for like his six-year-old kid, oh. but had his Dylan spin on them. So they, were, they weren't just like little baby songs. You know, Woody Guthrie did that. A lot of his songs are goofy, like because he'd write them for his kids. Mm-hmm. And I think he, because in 92, he had an album called Good As I've Been To You, where he did the same thing. It was all just him by himself, acoustic. Oh. World Gone Wrong was a follow-up. Good As I've Been To You, he was in a studio in Chicago, had producers and sound engineers, and, and he didn't produce that album, so it was pretty clean. Mm-hmm. And I think he was really going back to his roots. He was like, I, what got me into music? And that's when he was his own producer. Mm-hmm gone wrong it's a much rawer sound he did have a engineer but just because i don't think dylan knew the technology you know yeah it was basically just him in his garage and he i think he recorded it in two or three days yeah it feels like something that you or i or anybody else could do except for it's you know the legend bob dylan <laughs> right well and i think what that album shows me is or reminded me it's like he's a pretty good player yeah, he can finger pick and he's a good player. You know, a lot of people, yeah, yeah, he tries to do his little guitar solo and it's not, you know, Eric Clapton or anything, but it's he has his own way to do everything, you know. Yeah, and, dude, on Broke Down Engine, when he like, do you hear me rapping and he's able like to bang on the fucking. Can't you hear me, baby, rapping on your door? Can't you hear me, baby? I love when guitarists do that. It's so fluid and and effortless and and able to stay in motion. It's really awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's like all those songs are recorded on tape. You know, he's not splicing. He's like, that's one take. Yeah. Here it is. Let's move on to the next one. You know, Dylan has never been, you know, maybe Blonde on Blonde took a lot of production, but 
he gets sick of doing the same thing, you know? So he'll do two or three takes. That's it. That's as good as it's going to get. Let's move on. Then when he plays them live, he rearranges everything. He's like, the album version is just to get them out there, but that's not how they're meant to be heard. They're meant to be heard live. After he's had more time to play with them, maybe. Yeah. But he really got back to his his blue, because when he was in Minnesota in high school, he was Little Richard and... He wasn't a Woody Guthrie folk guy when he started getting into music. He was a rock and roll guy. Mm-hmm. But then he saw an in when he moved to New York. He's like, right. there's no in for rock and roll. I'm this white kid from Minnesota. Right. Folk was the thing. Let me do folk. That'll be my foot in the door. He's always almost been opportunistic in some ways with his ability to kind of jump around, especially early on, uh, which is why, you know, people who dated him, like Joan Baez, <laughs> very famously has not nice things to say about him he was able to move around so what's your favorite song on this album world gone wrong i love the broke down engine i love Mm -hmm. uh ragged and dirty Mm -hmm. and i love his here's a song that i mean how many people have covered you know stackily or staggerly Mm -hmm. you know nick cave's got a brutal version of it yeah you know but i mean that's a song that lead belly did i mean all the old bluesmen you know, that song's probably 200 years old. Who knows? I don't know if it's... It's 100 years old or so. Yeah. You know, I don't know who the original writer is, but... I don't think anyone knows. Jack Rowe. Well, you got to settle on one for me here, because we got to... <laughs> um, let's go... Uh, Dackily? No, let's go Ragged and Dirty. Lord, I'm broke, I'm hungry, ragged and dirty. If I clean up, sweet mama, can I stay all night with you? Lord, I went to my window, babe, I can see through my blind. Yeah, that's my favorite. I had this weird feeling that that was going to be your favorite, because to me it was like kind of the weirdest on the album. I'm like, I bet Brad's going to, this is going to be Brad's favorite. Because <laughs> it's kind of dirty. Well, it's dirty, right? It's it's kind of dirty and kind of grimy, just like the lyrics are. It was very bluesy. Very mm-hmm. bluesy. Broke Down Engine, I think that was written by Blind Willie McTell. Yeah, it was. Who he has a song called Blind Willie McTell. And I'll tell you one thing, no one can sing the blues like Blind Willie McTell, which was an outtake from his 83 album Infidel, which I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he never put it in an album. It's like the prettiest song he's ever done, but he left it on the cutting room floor. (laughs) Only Dylan, right? Yeah. Something (laughs) like that. One of his outtakes from that album was 2032 Blues by Robert Johnson. Okay. That's awesome. I can't believe he left it off the album, but he had his reasons. Yeah, Ragged and Dirty is definitely... To me, is one of the least standout, but I, I'm not going to pick a song that to me is least good on this album because I'm not familiar enough with it. But I was surprised at how familiar I was with a lot of these songs. I don't think of myself as someone who's up to date on their folk music. But since I did start listening to Johnny Cash at a young age and Nick Cave, you know, who have also kind of resurrected a lot of these folk songs, I was familiar with Stagger Lee, you know, and I was familiar with Delia and I was familiar with Henry Lee or Dear Henry, whatever the version is on this album. What does he call it on this album? Um, yeah, Love Henry. Mm-hmm. And the song that got me into Johnny Cash was Delia's Gone. So I really didn't think that I would ever hear something that would challenge that in terms of being a better version. But for me on this album, his take on Delia. 
Amelia was a gambling girl, gambled all around. Amelia was a gambling girl, she laid her money down. All the friends I ever had are gone. Delia's dear mother took a trip and went. Oh man, it's so pretty. Yep. It's gotta be my favorite song of this album. It's so pretty and it's so sad. You know, all, all the friends I ever had are gone. Just that really simple refrain over and over again, but just so heartbreaking. And going back to his guitar playing, like you said, it really, you really get a sense of how talented he is on this song in particular. And again, it's just like, you're sad for Delia. You're sad for the narrator. You're kind of sad for Cuddy even, who yeah. doesn't seem to really appreciate what he's done. Right. The cost it's going to have for him. You're sad for the mom who was out of town. The version I'm so used to hearing is kind of like a, almost, it's threatening and it's kind of swaggering and it's like, it almost glorifies the murder. And then this is just kind of like so flat and sad and just simple. Dylan's always had the ability to make you a believer as he's singing these old covers. I mean, how many cover songs have you heard? It's like, wow, it sounds a lot like the original and I didn't get much from it. Where it's like, yeah. I mean, how do you redo songs that are that old, but almost bring like a new perspective to them? Right. When Dylan sings, any song, almost, you believe him. I look and see Looking for them around us Looking out for me All the friends I ever had gone Like you were saying earlier, a lot of people, oh, they can't get past his voice. And it's like, well, to me, his voice is his best instrument. Just the way that he can... I mean, he can sing in so many different ways, but when he's singing these words, you're like, yeah, I'm all in. You know, I'm all in listening to this story you're telling me. He's got a knack for that. You know, one of the theories of capitalism when it comes to how it interacts with art is that it drives the pursuit of authenticity in consumers. Mm -hmm. And which of course means mass production, which decreases authenticity, but that's what we're after. And Bob Dylan is someone that has always been able to just repeatedly offer up this very authentic style because of his voice, because of things like recording an album where it's just him and an acoustic guitar and like folk songs that have been around for a century. Yeah, you got to respect his ability to bring that out in himself and just re repeatedly uh, be very true in a way that's appealing. To piggyback on that, you get a lot of these musicians where oh my god their first couple albums are so good when they were they were young they were hungry they were mm -hmm. poor and they had you know this fire in them and then they oh we, yeah we, we sold two yeah. million copies and now i'm living in this really big nice home and i'm kind of living off royalties where dylan's like yeah he was a millionaire by the time he was 25 probably or whatever mm. but it's like in his blood though it's like this is what i have to do and i'm always going to do it my way i don't care about whatever anyone said i mean he had what's this the old story about going on the um ed sullivan show they wanted him to do Blown in the Wind. He's like, no, I want to do Masters of War. That's the yeah. only song I'll do. Yeah. No, we, we want Blown. All right, then I'm not going to do it. He's never 23. Did it. <laughs> it's like, you're turning down Ed Sullivan? 
Like, do you want to blow up your career? Let's go on Ed Sullivan, you know, like right. the Beatles did, and like all the in the animals. Elvis, all right. these, it's like no, Dylan's like screw it. If I can't do what I want to do, and so even at a, as a 23 year old, he's like, you know, f you to the establishment. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm gonna do it my own way, and it, it always works out for him. Speaking of wealth and stuff, and having it be in his bones, he's been on a never-ending tour since what year? 88. 88. He's been on tour since 1988. You don't do that because you want money or because you want fame. No. You do that because that's your life. That's your blood. That's what you do. That's who you are. Yeah. Like a true troubadour. Yeah. I say it somewhat like, you know, with a, take it with a grain of salt, but like he's kind of the, like the Shakespeare of our time, in my opinion. When he eventually dies, if he ever does, maybe he's some heavenly prophet that'll just live <laughs> forever. Who knows? I doubt it, but maybe. Be nice. Anytime a famous person, oh, there's always, you know, all the news outlets, they have their little three minute highlight reel of, you know, but Dylan, I think it's going to be a really big deal. Yeah. You know, I think people be like, wow, I didn't realize that he did all this, all this stuff. Oh my gosh, look at all the, you know, people are going to realize after, then I think his stuff is going to last like kind of like how Shakespeare is maybe. I mean, he's America's poet laureate, right? Um, he he's won the yeah. uh, Nobel Prize for literature. He is one of the most widely celebrated authors of all time. So I, I think you're onto something. But and to your point about people maybe won't appreciate him until he's dead. I mean, it's so funny because I was thinking about this with the Rolling Stones recently. Sometimes when people are so big and so famous, they can also be underrated at the same time. Johnny Cash is another one. Yeah. People are, are they're like, yeah, okay, I've heard about it. Like, they're important. But then they never really bother to investigate beyond the fact that they've heard the same three or four songs over and over again. And they just dismiss it. It's like, oh, that's for boomers. Or like, that's the past. But like, right. uh, we're all living in the product of the past. And Bob Dylan helped create this present. But back to World Gone Wrong. Is there an underrated song for you? This is a tough album for yeah. that because like, there's not like, oh, there's, well, you got the three radio hits, <laughs> you know? There was a single. There was a single. Yeah, they did. Uh, well, the single was Blood in My Eyes. Yeah. Woke up this morning feeling blue Seen a good looking girl Can I make love with The music video, I think it's just like him walking around like the streets of London, and he's got like on the album cover, top he's hat. got the big black top hat, and he's wearing that with yeah. a cane and all this and that. Um, underrated song on this album, I, it's probably my, it's probably my favorite song. <laughs> well, just I, just the guitar work in, in Ragged and Dirty, it's like pretty intricate and difficult to play that song. I've tried. Okay, but it's, just, it's too hard and to sing and to keep that whole thing going. But I do like okay, well, I like the title song too though. World gone wrong. Strange things have happened that never before. My baby told me I would have to go. Once like I did before 
I can't be good, baby, honey, because the world goes wrong. Well, God wrong's pretty damn good, and that's a hard question for me, especially on an album like this. You know, none of these songs are very well known. Well, I guess when I say like underrated, I don't mean like underrated in the world, but you know, is there one that you've been underrated? World Gone Wrong is a fine answer. I mean, yeah. The Broke Down Engine is so, that song is like a good kind of pump up driving song in a way, you know? Yeah. There's not really a lot of muscly songs on this album, but that one is. You can really hear the blues coming through on that one. What's so great about these albums is if, like you were talking about earlier, you know, you just got to take a deeper dive. These are the type of albums that can really open up the gates for, like, Mm -hmm. the history of music. Yeah. He did something similar in the mid-2010s, it's weird saying that, with all the old uh, Mm -hmm. American songbook, like Sinatra songs. He did, like, three albums in a row of these old kind of crooning 30s, 40s, 50s, that are pretty much forgotten about, but he brings them mm-hmm. back to light. And then if you're interested, you can look into them and be like, oh, let's, you know, it's kind of like a history lesson, you know, when you're listening. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, I don't know, who are these artists that wrote these songs? Well, let me get into them. And then who knows where that's going to If you can even find them. Right. Like the Love Henry, which I really, really appreciate his version on, of this song too. familiar with the Nick Cave version because I grew up listening to uh, Murder Ballad. Great album. Yeah, fantastic album. That's the album that got me into Cave. Was, I yeah, me too. To I'm like, nah, let me uh, <laughs> have all his other albums. Alright, that's what I did. But Henry Lee on that album is not one of my favorite songs on that album. And on this album, his take on it, again, is just so pretty. And I love the perspective of the little bird and, you know, you get like this weird kind of outside narrator and, and it's a bird of all things. Also, since we have heard the Nick Cave version of that, or we've like heard like the Johnny Cash version of Delia, like and the Lead Valley version of Delia, when because I'm not, I'm not deeply rooted in these folk traditions where I've heard every Pete Seeger take and every fucking right. you know what you know what I mean. Like I'm not that familiar with that stuff. But between these few songwriters, these were troubadours to keep using that word, I'm starting to get a better sense of the different takes that they have made on these songs and the things that must have carried through from the beginning like delia odelia or get down get down little henry you know like that kind of stuff it's just these repetitive things or the fact that henry ends up in a well like these were clearly have always been there since these songs were written by who the fuck ever a century or so ago i haven't done enough research on like is it stackily why is it sometimes staggerly you know i mean woody guthrie does a version of it and the grateful dead do a version of it, but it's all rough other than nick cave who turned him into a, 
I believe he's a homosexual. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple pretty brutal lines in Kay's <laughs> version, mm-hmm. but I still love it. But, it, you know, it has that he's going to the bucket of blood, right? Well, because that's based on a true event, just like with Delia. Like, I don't know about what happened to Henry, but with Delia and Stagger Lee, we can go back and track it to, like, the actual murder victims of Billy Lyons and Delia, whatever her last name is, escapes me now. So, like, there were, like, actual events that happened in, like, the 1910s, 1920s. Stagger Lee walked to the barroom in a cover of glass of Turn around the belly lines, it what are you doing here? Waiting for a train, please come on home. Staggerly, oh staggerly, please don't take my life. Got three little children and a weeping, loving wife. You're a bad man, bad man, staggerly. God bless your children and I'll take care of your wife. You stole my John B. Now I'm bound to take your life for the bad that John B. Stuck it's cool to just to see the the different takes and how these great artists, mm-hmm. you know, the different versions. And then I think the way Dylan does it is just they're usually my favorite versions. You know? <laughs> I might like Cave's version a lot because it's just completely in your face and just obstaggerly, a little absurd in a way, but. So fun. <laughs> you know what I liked about Bob Dylan's version of Stagger Lee was that unlike Nick Cave, where again, where it's glorified and Stagger Lee is turned into this almost like Terminator character that just goes right. out and murders. In this version, it's like, this guy's an asshole. He just killed someone over a hat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like this guy's a dick. You're a bad man, Stagger Lee. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I like that there's nothing like celebrating it here. And again, Stagger Lee, uh, he kind of regrets it. And then he says a line about, how he hears Billy Lyons all around his jail cell at night, which again on American Recordings and Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash uses that same line talking about Delia. So is that Johnny borrowing from Bob? Is that both of them borrowing from these classic folk traditions, which is what I suspect is the answer? I don't know, but it's fascinating. Could you name a song that is the least good on this album for you? The least standout song? Yeah. The old Stetson hat, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Let me think here. The least... This album is, it's such like a great, you know, like sitting around a campfire, like Sunday morning, just kind of easy album. Yeah. And it's not very long. You know, what is it? Maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah. And it kind of just flows together where there's not like that one song. It's like, oh, let me get out of my seat and go skip this one. It's like, no, even if I'm not crazy about it, it's not like, well, it's only three and a half minutes long. I can listen to it. Right. Nothing really stands out to me as like a least favorite. I mean, how well does Dylan know folk songs, right? I mean, yeah. so if he's going to choose these 10 songs to do, they're all going to be damn good. If he's leaving off Robert Johnson's 2032 Blues, which is an awesome take, you should listen to it the second we're off, you could find it wherever. I don't really have a least favorite. You know, maybe I'm trying to think of how Two Soldiers goes in my head right now.
that's kind of what I was thinking too, because like there's a couple of songs on the album towards the end that kind of start to blur together. It's not so much that they're not good or that you would skip them. Jack O'Row and Two Soldiers kind of bleed into each other a little bit. Where Lone Pilgrim stands out and Stack of Lee stands out, you have between those two soldiers and Jack O'Row, which again, they're very pretty, but like I can't really tell you how they go, which is hardly much of a complaint. But like you said, it's a very complete album. Mm-hmm. There's not a huge swing of difference between these takes, the, the way these songs go. So you either dig the feel of the whole album or, you know, not going to like it. Well, I think, you know, maybe like, let's say, you know, side two and side one were flipped. I mean, how my life, I don't have all that much time to just to sit down and listen to an album. I wish I did. Mm-hmm. And the fact that those songs are towards the end of the album. I've definitely heard the, the first seven songs a lot more than the last three, just because, all right. I got 35 minutes in, but now something else is coming up. So oh, I missed two soldiers and I do Jack Rowe. I would put that one in there just because of the Grateful Dead. And they have a an acoustic live show called Reckoning, Dead Reckoning. Hmm. Jerry does it. Jerry and um, David Grisman did a couple just acoustic and like kind of like bluegrassy albums. And they always do Jack Rowe and... So that's how I knew that song before I knew Dylan's version. I knew the Dead's version. Okay. But it was interesting to hear Dylan's different take. You know, even mm-hmm. some of the lyrics are changed a little bit. That's kind of the folk tradition though, right? Yeah, it would stick out to you a bit more if you're already familiar with it, which I was not. Lone Pilgrim, I thought, had a really pretty ending, like a really nice end of the album. That line about the same hand that kindly assisted me home or whatever. I thought that was, it was nice. But you could turn the album off after Stackley and probably be okay. His voice, too, especially on his live shows, that's where the, the whole, you know, you see Dana Carvey on SNL, I'm bad doing, you know, I sing yeah. out of my nostrils. I think this album let everyone know, like, maybe that's almost like intentional. He's just doing this because that's just how he feels like singing this year. Because <laughs> when you listen to this album, it's very pretty. And his yeah. voice is pretty good. I mean, it's definitely yeah. Dylan, you know, it's not American Idol voices but who wants that no but it shows it's like no dylan still he still has it i mean now he's in his 50s as opposed to in his early 20s but this album compared to free will and from 63 i don't know the guitar playing is still very good and the, you know the voice is obviously you know a few thousand packs of cigarettes later but still he knows how to work it when i think bob dylan i think well he certainly knows how to work it yeah he works that shit. <laughs> work it, Bob. <laughs> I was like, he does some work, though. He does. I mean, again, you've been touring for decades. You're a hardworking individual. That's why it's so funny. Like, she's fine, you know, but, you know, like Taylor Swift is like the huge thing now, you know? And it's like, yeah. oh, look at this tour. She's going to South America, then Japan. I'm like, yeah, Dylan's been doing that 45 years straight. World <laughs> tour. He goes to Australia like every other year. He's like, he's up in Norway every single year. It's like, right, yeah. then he'll come back and play like the fucking county fair in Idaho or some shit. Yeah, yeah I'm going to play a minor league baseball field in the middle of Wyoming. It's like, who the fuck? I mean, he, he played up in Sault Ste. Marie, you know? I mean, it's just like, then I thought like, maybe he wants to play every single city and town in the world. And then he's going to, all right, now I'm going to retire officially. I don't think he'll retire. I think he'll die on stage. Yeah, what? His latest tour, that Rough and Rowdy Ways. I mean, and who does this? COVID was the first time he broke from the never-ending tour. Yeah. Because nothing was open. Right, understandably. And that's when he recorded this album. And then when he when he what, first announced... World Gone Wrong? 
No, uh, uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. Oh, oh. The, from 2020. Okay. When they announced the tour, it was Rough and Rowdy Ways tour, and it was the first time he's labeled a tour ever, pretty much. On the tour, it said 2021 to 2024. Hmm. So we got all the Dylanologists. They're like, "Ooh, does that mean 2024 he's officially retiring?" Or like, why would he put these dates? Yeah, in? that's interesting. You never know, Dylan. He's probably just screwing with us. I'm not really retiring. I was just messing with you guys. Yeah, I'm gonna release another album in 2024, and then it's gonna be that tour. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. You played in Grand Rapids just a couple months ago, and that was my 91st Dylan show. Your 91st. I'm trying to get to 100. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it though. I think you can do it. Yeah, as long as he keeps touring. If he, as long as he's within like a four or five hour drive, I get the wife gives me the okay. <laughs> That's the thing though. You live in Detroit for this long, and he on constant tour. If he's in Cleveland or Chicago or Pittsburgh, it's like those are within four hours. So let's yeah. go. Let's go see Bob. Ninety-one times, dude. That's hard to get my head around. I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen Greg Dooley in the Afghan wigs in some form or another. I'm like, oh, I've you know I've seen him ten times, or I've seen you know so and so like nothing compared to ninety-one times. That's ridiculous, dude. <laughs> There's not that many live acts that I want to see anymore. So yeah. I saw Cave recently, and he was. I saw Cave by himself with the bassist for Radiohead. It was just those two, and it was that's cool, awesome. He's so like mixes it up with the crowd so much. It was so fun. Yeah. So I saved my money, and then I go because now the shows are so expensive. But Dylan's just been playing in these really small theaters, and it's like perfect for his sound nowadays. Like mm. it'd be perfect for this album, like yeah. small, you know, like a Fox Theater type, you know, two three thousand people, but. Just great acoustics. That's where you'd want to hear this album. But it was funny. The first time I saw Dylan was about a year after this album came out. <laughs> oh, I, go figure. So that pie knob. Good old pie knob. Good old pie knob. Is there anything else you want to say about Bob before we move on? I would say that Dylan, to me, got a little lost in the 80s. Did a little some tours with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers in 86, then toured with the Dead a little in 87. And he did sneak in that Oh Mercy in 89, which is a really good album. Then he did his children's album. That's my opinion. But then he did these back-to-back acoustic albums. And this one, I think, actually won the Grammy for best traditional folk, folk album, album yeah. of the year. But after that, I think this like reignited his fire. Like Going back to his roots was the right decision. His next three albums, which are Time Out of Mind, Love and Theft, and Modern Times, they came out between 97 and 2006. I think... You know, people talk about the Holy Trilogy for Dylan was uh, in 1965, an 18-month period, he came out with Bringing It All Back Home, Highway 61 Revisited, and Blonde on Blonde. Mm-hmm. People say that's the most prolific song, right? I mean, in 18 months, he came out with those, and just the songs in those albums, like It's All Right, Ma, Desolation, I mean, crazy songs that you can't write, you know, that no one's supposed to be able to write. But these three albums... I think they put up a pretty good fight against his original Holy Trilogy. Mm. But I do think him getting back to these old roots just reignited his third career. I mean, how many different like stages has he gone through? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. whatever stage that time out of mind to kind of present, you know, but those three albums, him getting back to those old roots of the blues and folk, which is what he you know, he'd sit and listen to the radio in Hibby, Minnesota and try and right. the St. Louis station he'd be able to get every now and again or whatever. But that really led to three just really phenomenal albums in a row. And that kind of just like brought him back. Oh, wow. Dylan still got it. After all these years, like, look at these songs he's writing. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, Adele's covering him and Garth Brooks is covering him. And it's just like, uh, what's it? Uh, to make you feel my love, uh. which is my least favorite song on Time Out of Mind. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> but it's an awesome song. That, yeah. That's how good that album is. Yeah, it's great. Album. But it's like, oh, other artists are like making like career moves off of this song that no one even knows Dylan wrote, you know, <laughs> which he wouldn't want it any other way. I don't think, though. He's a hardworking songwriter kind of guy. Again, like he is not just historical himself and, and a driver of history. The way that he connects us to the past, to this musical history, he serves a really important function in global popular culture. And I'm really grateful for him. And again, like I know that some people will listen to this episode and be like, ah, not really a Dylan fan, but I'll listen to it. But if you're only listening to, you know, fucking blown in the wind if that's all you if that's if you just think dylan you think blown in the wind and a couple others you know if you think of the characters of him then you're missing out because there's a lot of really great stuff like this whole fucking album well you look at what he did in that like mid-60s was such a crazy time for awesome music right i mean Mm -hmm. you had the whole british invasion the kinks are one of my favorite bands of all time and i do think ray davies is a pretty underrated songwriter but what he especially with the beatles you look at the Beatles, before they kind of met Dylan and, and after, obviously how influential were the Beatles. But, you know, and oh, Dylan smoked weed with them. Yeah, yeah, maybe that opened their mind <laughs> up to other stuff. But it's the songwriting that, you know, Lennon and McCartney are listening. It's like, oh, you, you don't have to write two and a half minute I want to hold your hand pop songs. You can actually dig down and write about, you know, the shit going on in the street. Or you could write about, you know, so many things. And I think what he did for lyric writing alone. You know I mean? Like Rolling Stones, a six minute song. Those songs weren't on the radio in six. It had to be three minutes and under, you know? Yeah. You will not find a Motown song that's over three minutes and 30 seconds, probably, you know? Right. But Dylan's like, no, I'm going to do it this way. We'll see what happens. And then that's what really woke me up to how important Dylan was because all the other bands, you know, I got into the Doors and Zeppelin and all these gateway kind of classic rock bands. They were all influenced by Bob. Right. They all took a page out of Dylan's book, like, oh, we can do it this way. Let's try it this way. You know, like I could go on forever. Oh, the animals, house of the rising sun. Yeah, Dylan covered that on his very first album. Granted, it's not his song, but he brought that song to the forefront. Then they're like, Oh, let's do this version and make it our greatest hit of all time. You know, Eric Burden's like, What's this Dylan song that he did? And he could do like the uh what's the old the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation? Right. Six degrees of Bob Dylan. It could always come back to Dylan. Britney Spears, six degrees, and you'd get back to Dylan. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but. And I think it's important to note that it also works the other way, you know, because he's someone that, again, going back to him connecting us to the past, he is someone oh, that yeah. was, he's a musicologist in his own right. Yeah. Again, I think the comparison of Martin Scorsese is accurate. Just like Scorsese uh, investigates film from every angle and always has. Yeah. That's how Bob Dylan has always worked i don't know that he's like you know pouring through electronica and like you know like the new music that's coming out and stuff but i mean growing up and the stuff that came before him he's always had familiarity with that stuff and uh respect for that kind of stuff and help resurrect that stuff and keep it in our consciousness so definitely grateful for him he had that theme hour that he had on sirius radio or one of the uh one of those he did like 200 episodes and like each show would have a different theme. Like he is so well-rounded. Like he had one show on like the theme was like mothers, you know, and he'd have some old, 
you know, 1930s show tune that talked about mothers. Then he busts out LL Cool J's Mama Say Knock You Out. You know, <laughs> I mean, he goes everywhere and they're all on YouTube. And he's so funny because he has his, it's kind of like, I think that's where Petty kind of got his like little, the Petty Hour or whatever, the Petty Channel. But I think the Dylan Theme Hour might have been on his channel. I'm not sure. But he would just do it from the road in his uh, bus and just his knowledge and his like little quips in between songs and his little stories he's heard mm-hmm. really shows you like how much knowledge the dude has with like music history. He just wrote a new book called The Philosophy of the Modern Song, which is really interesting because it's his take on like 150 different songs. Mm. And he goes off on these weird little Dylan tangents and then brings it back. Oh, yeah, I forgot I was writing about this song. Let me get back to that. (laughs) If you haven't checked it out, it's a really cool book. That's awesome. All right. Well, so I always end the show asking kind of a non-related question to what we're talking about. So you and I are both Michigan boys, Mm -hmm. both drink beer. Yeah. What are some of the Michigan beers you've been enjoying of late? Oh, Michigan beers I've been enjoying. Well, I do like uh, Jolly Pumpkin. Okay. They have a ton of different sours and mm-hmm. some of them are like really sour and the sourer the better. I know they got a brewery next to, I think it's right next to Third Man Records in Detroit, Jack White's uh, mm-hmm. studio or where he presses records, mm-hmm. but they have a Jolly Pumpkin in Grand Rapids. So nice. me and Holly will go, my wife Holly will go, uh, we'll go there every now and again just to see what they got on tap there. So I, I guess I'd say Jolly Pumpkin. Yeah. You always got your standards. I do like, uh, you know, Bell's makes a pretty good hazy IPA. They're all day or they're, um, are there other I hazy? I do like the all day, but they have a hazy. Uh, the yellow and gray can. Kind of, yeah. IPAs are pretty safe, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the um, M43 makes a really good grapefruit IPA, which I really enjoy. I like the brewery, but I haven't had that beer. Yeah, um, I've been drinking a lot. Well, not a lot because it's expensive, but Founders has... The Dirty Bastard, which is great. And they released the French Toast Bastard. Oh, yeah. It's like a French Toast. It's just like drinking maple syrup, carbonated liquor, maple syrup. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So good. Uh, so I've been drinking a lot of that. Have you had the Backwoods Bastard? Yeah, it's... Covers like an old, looks like an old like gnome with a big beard holding an axe. That's like only in the winter. Right. Don't drink that under a hot sun. But yeah, and other than that, I've been drinking a lot of like hazy all days and Bell's hazy. Yeah. I don't know if I should admit this on, uh, maybe edit this away, but <laughs> I do just because they're so easy, like especially if I'm out grilling, like the white claws are so easy to put down and they're kind of refreshing. So I do drink, we call them white clam in my household. Honey, pick up a 12 or a clams. White clams. We call them clam. I don't know, just because it sounds cooler, I guess. <laughs> It's funny. You think clams are cooler than claws? I don't know about that, but uh, well, we'll, like if we have like a grocery list, I'll just write clam and she'll know. But then it was funny. I went to the Halloween store and they had a knockoff white claw costume and it said white clam. And I'm like, no way. I'm like, I should be getting residuals for that shit. Like, yeah. Or you should have at least bought the costume and worn it for your wife. Not like in bed or anything. That'd be weird. Hey, I'm, I'm a white clam, but uh, <laughs> just a surpriser. Yeah. That's pretty much. But oh, there's this one brewery here. It's called a Speciation. Oh no! Oh, it's like crazy sour. Like they mm-hmm. make Jolly Pumpkin sours. Like, eh, that's sort of sour. I've been there. I actually saw, you know, the show uh, Dave with Little Dicky. He's like a white Jewish rapper. It's on FX, dude. It's hilarious. Oh no! 
he was at this brewery. I'm like, Holly, doesn't that look like that Dave guy from that like little Dicky? Is his name? Sure enough, he's dating someone. He lives in LA. He was dating a girl, and her best friend from Grand Rapids was getting married and oh. in town for the wedding at this small little podunk sour brewery. It's funny. And I talked to him. I didn't do a selfie or anything. I'm like, hey, I hope you get five seasons because all the best shows have five seasons. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. That's what I'm looking for. I'm, I want five seasons. I, I love five. That'd be great if I could get five seasons, just like The Wire or something like that. Like, yeah, Breaking Bad. Like, yeah. Just like The Wire and Breaking Bad. It'd be just like The Wire and Breaking Bad. <laughs> be the Wire, Breaking Bad, Dave. Which I've never even heard of. What do you got going on for the rest of your day? I got homework. Homework that I've been pushing off. It's always due by midnight on the day, and I'm always like 11.58, like, submit. Yep. I took care of mine already before I talked to you, but I did the same thing. My lesson plans are due by midnight. And I always wait until Sunday, especially like, you know, I had five days to do it, but nope, going to wait until the last minute. But I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go meet family for some food and uh, hangout times here in a little bit. But thanks for doing this with me. If you want to come back on, you're always welcome to talk music yeah i'll look up some other albums from that that year and see at this point if there's something you want to do from just around that era let me know if you want to do something you know okay released in 95 or released in like 90 91 92 i'd be down for talking about that too get outside the two-year zone yeah great talking with you Trav. good talking to you take care yeah Not for me, now I'm gone The same hand that led me through scenes most severe Has kindly assisted me home Was I kidding? I was not kidding. Brad really loves Bob Dylan. It comes across in this episode. I really appreciate Brad coming back on the show and talking about his love for Bob Dylan and this album. It's always awesome when friends return to the show, but I'm also always looking for new blood, always looking for new people to come on. Maybe that person is you, or maybe it's someone you know and you need to, like, tip them off about the existence of this podcast, which I would greatly appreciate. Released in 1993 was a great album from the band, The Band. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. They blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk They're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in From out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on a promenade and the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. them covering Bruce Springsteen, which in an upcoming episode I discussed briefly with Morgan Peake about what a great song this is. I'd love it if someone came on the show and talked about this album. So come on to the show and talk about them or pretty much any other album from the era. You're always welcome. And if you're not into that, you know, maybe you could rate the show, review the show, 
click a button that says subscribe or like a thumbs up or like or follow or whatever, that'd be cool. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Take her easy. Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.